you didn't need the money, would you still show up to your job? I'm John Weems. I've spent half of my career in the corporate world and the other half in full-time spiritual guidance as a pastor. I respect people of all views unless they are totally closed-minded a-holes. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I am here to encourage you to think beyond the check. Welcome to this podcast where we talk about work, life, and the meaning of our time here. You'll hear from a wide range of business people from multiple backgrounds. In our first two episodes, we heard from NBA champion Golden State Warriors general manager Bob Myers and Ying Lu of LinkedIn, who works in a demanding job while living in a Zen center in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I invite you to go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't yet had a chance. And my guest today was someone I had the opportunity to meet after he spoke on a panel at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurship Center, in which he was positioned as the godfather of fintech or financial technology. And while he spoke about his success from Wall Street and beyond, uh, he surprised me and many in the audience by talking about meditation, intention, topics that don't always come up in business panels, the impact of his spirituality. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to welcome Ron Suber to the program. John, great to see you today, and thank you for including me. I I am honored. So, Ron, one of the the talents I've I've learned you have is uh, being able to introduce yourself in a very concise way. So rather than me reading your bio, uh, who is Ron Suber in a minute? Ron Suber is 53. He's been married for 26 years, and he has two adult children living on the East Coast. He has a medium IQ, a medium EQ, And a high AQ, his adversity quotient, his grit and resilience, helps him overcome the other medium parts of his life. He is a salesperson, he's a manager, he's an entrepreneur, he's a public speaker, and someone who really likes to give and to assist. He enjoys assisting others as much as as he does in scoring. And he is in this interesting part of his life called rewirement. And, And Ron, what is rewirement? So rewirement is this period of someone's life where they're redesigning their life, both personally and professionally. They're changing their life, what was defaulted to and what became, and they're embracing this new uncertainty. And they're creating this new environment with a different mix and a different balance of pleasure and purpose and meaning and work. You have a little more control when you're rewiring you're not working full-time, and you're not retired, you're getting off that speeding train and that day-to-day grind that many, many people are in. Resetting some pieces, renewing some pieces, really clearing the mechanism. My wife and I rewired in 2016, Hmm. where we literally gave away all of the material possessions that we'd accumulated over the first 25 years of our marriage. And we started over and travel the world in a new home and reset our lives for the next 25 years. And then I rewired professionally last year. And now I do lots of teaching. Last week, Stanford. Next week, USC. And really helping this next younger generation and other people in middle age who are pivoting in their careers to find the next thing and rewire. So we, we will circle back to that. Let's, let's go back a little bit earlier while your wiring was beginning before the need to rewire happened. Uh, what was your first job, Ron? Well, I went to UC San Diego to be a doctor, and I realized after the first year that wasn't for me. So I transferred to Berkeley and really fell in love with economics and finance. And coming out of Berkeley in 1986, I went to work for Pershing, 
which is a custody and clearing and finance company that helps all of Wall Street and really learned the way around the back offices and the inside of Wall Street, how it operates. Moved on to Bear Stearns, where I had a very fun career for many, many years. Ended up as a senior managing director working with hedge funds and brokerage firms in custody clearing and finance. And then in 2006, became an entrepreneur and did something brand new and failed Mm. and had to really figure out what I wanted to do professionally. So I joined up with a couple friends, Aaron and Steve, in a company they had. And we worked very hard for four years and were able to sell that to a big bank for a lot of money. And was that Merlin? That was Merlin Securities, a great fintech financial technology company that was helping small asset managers act and behave and operate and communicate like the bigger hedge funds and investment companies. Mm -hmm. It was a great company, terrific group of people. And it wasn't really for sale, but the bank wanted it very badly. And so an agreement was reached and the bank owns it and has done a great job in helping Merlin become part of Wells Fargo now. Yes. So shifting from dreaming of being a doctor uh, into the, the financial realm, as uh, as a kid, any dreams you had of you know becoming an, an athlete or a firefighter or anything like that? What did you dream of as a child? I really wanted to be a teacher, yes. which is why it's so interesting now at 53 to be able to go back and teach and give to younger people and share some of the observations and experiences that I've accumulated about innovation and entrepreneurship and, and pivoting professionally. So when you teach at Stanford, USC, other places, uh, what, what ranges of topics are you covering? Is it part of another class? Uh, tell me more about that. It is. It's, it's fascinating. I've got to know many professors at universities around the world who are looking for non-academics, for true practitioners, business people, to come in and tell the truth, tell another version of the truth. And so I work with these young people on their career. So they are very smart. They often don't understand what EQ and AQ are, but their IQs off the charts. And I'm helping them articulate their edge, their value, their brand, and understand what's happening in the real world in fintech. And fintech is really this collision of the banking world and Wall Street and Silicon Valley and machine learning and all of these new things all coming together. It's such an interesting time. Either you're as scared as you've ever been or as excited as you've ever been in the working world today, given we have this big, big evolution. Now, prior to evolving to where you are now at, in your first job, what was your intention? So I had one suit, a gray suit, one pair of black shoes and two or three shirts. And I walked in the first day and this old guy, probably my age today, bald with a bow tie, sent me to the mailroom to print confirmations on the old tractor wheel and put the purple ink in there and stuff the envelopes. And I couldn't believe that I had just graduated college and now I'm in the mailroom. And the purple ink would get on my only suit or one of my shirts. And I remember learning and reading what was on these pieces of paper, people buying and selling things and trying to understand how it all worked. And then one day, a few weeks, months later, the phones were ringing and nobody was picking them up. And I picked up the phone and someone said, I have a problem. Here's my problem. And I said, I've written it all down. I don't know the answer. I will call you back. And so I moved into customer service and learned more about the business and then moved into sales and selling the services of the company. 
So you've, you've mentioned your AQ, your adversity quotient. Uh, what shaped that? What was growing up like for you? So for me, growing up was uh, very interesting, like many people's childhoods. I saw some really good things, and I saw some not-so-good things. So there was a period of my young life, in my teens, where I was broke, and my parents weren't able to help. I had holes in my shoes and tape under my shoes and in my shoes. And so when it rained, my socks were wet, and people didn't understand. And I had three jobs, but I couldn't get a credit card. I asked people, would you just sign for a credit card for me? And they said no. Mm. And so I really learned the need to be independent, and that fire burned in my belly. And it turns out the person who co-signed for my credit card needed money later in his life, and I was able to go back Mm. and full circle help people who helped me early. So I'll never forget those memories. There were more good memories than bad, but they definitely drove me to work and achieve and do what I've done in my career and in my life, candidly. So early on, for, for many people, work is a means to pay the bills, to make sure you don't have holes in your shoes. Uh, how did your understanding of, of work evolve over time as you grew in stature and success? So I saw lots of people working really hard. I was a dishwasher. I worked in the kitchen and food prep. I was a busboy. I was a waiter. There was no doubt people were working hard. But they were doing the same thing every day, and they weren't adapting, they weren't evolving, they weren't taking the time to sharpen their saw and learn to saw more efficiently or better. And so I saw the need to take a break and be introspective and sharpen the saw along the way of my professional career. And I think that really helped me over the years to adapt and to pivot as times and technology and the economy and other things changed. So through all of these experiences, and I encourage our listeners to go to rewirement.co, C-O, and you can read more of Ron's personal reflections. Uh, tell me about uh, fear, appearance, and testing in relations to Prosper. And for those who are maybe unaware of, of Prosper, maybe set the stage a little bit and work through some of the scenarios as, as you grew increasingly involved in Prosper. So I published my second blog post 10 days ago. It now has over 20,000 views. Congratulations. Thank you. The first one got over 30,000 views over the first couple months. And I'm trying to write about things that I feel and write about things that I hear. Many people I know are afraid or were afraid, but don't talk about their fear. And everybody needs to adapt here. There are so many things that are changing, and we all need to have a clear intention every morning. And so I wrote this last blog post about those topics, and I shared a very vulnerable story about my fear and me chickening out on a deal that if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be here today. It changed the arc of my life personally, professionally, and financially. And I shared how I got through that fear and how others helped me through the fear, some nicely and some prodding, not so nicely with words I can't repeat here today, Yes, but it was effective. And in talking about how the environment is adapting and how we all must adapt and that we all must really focus on our intention every day because so much negative news and disappointing human behavior is presented to us all day long. And if we don't have a clear intention of what we want to do each day, and stay true to that all day long will become something we didn't intend to do and become and will do things we didn't intend in the morning 
by the end of the day. So in the case of, of Prosper, and this wasn't all that long ago, this was in the last five years, based upon what I've read, um, what, you know, what fear was coming at you and, and, you know, what words of encouragement or challenge uh, maybe pushed you beyond your own comfort zone? So after we sold Merlin to Wells Fargo in the middle of 2012, my two partners and I and the spouses talked a lot about enough. Do we have enough power, control, and fame, and money? And what do we want to do with our lives next, given this was such a big exit and meaningful change financially in our lives? And my partners and I, Aaron and Steve and I, decided we wanted to do something else together. And so we talked to the venture capitalists if they had an idea, and they said, we have the money, you're the entrepreneurs and the innovators, bring us an idea. And so I had had been investing in the online lending industry and said, wow, it would be really interesting to own one and operate one and manage one. And we found this opportunity to invest in Prosper in January of 13 and assume control of it and management and start over with a new board and a new winning culture and some new technologies. And so we were able to go back to Sequoia, who backed us at Merlin, and they backed us again at Prosper. And that was in January of 13. But the truth is I chickened out a week before we were supposed to write the checks to do the deal. And so for me, it was a very scary period. Was I going to fail? Was I going to lose the seven figures I was going to invest in the deal? And many other things. And so I was able to tell that story in the blog about the fear and how to get through it. And that's really resonated globally amongst young people in their 20s and people in their 60s and 70s as well. So thinking about... Uh, you know, young Ron with holes in his shoes and, and no one to sign for a credit card for a while. How is Prosper a, a solution to that for those who aren't familiar with, with Prosper or, or FinTech in general? So Prosper was actually the first online lending company in America started about 11 years ago. And it enables people to tell their story, where they live, what their income is, what they do, what their expenses are, what their credit history is. And for Prosper to be an exchange and take that data and find other people and institutions and banks who want to lend money to that person. And so that's what peer-to-peer lending started to be, or online lending. It has now grown tremendously around the world. So we have consumer loans available at online lenders. We have business loans, student loans, mortgages, residential real estate, commercial real estate, and much more. It's really evolved into this sharing economy, this access economy where we can share and access each other like never before. And Prosper is doing incredibly well now, doing billions of dollars of loans and tapping into peer-to-peer and capital markets and securitization. It's a, a great business and a great company. And it's literally happening in every continent, in every country around the world. Yes. Tell me, sir, I know you've met many people in your travels. Uh, any stories that have inspired you of recipients of funding uh, through marketplaces? Any, any that have stood out on ways that lives have been changed? There are so many. If you go to Facebook and look at hashtag my prosper story, or my SoFi story, or my credible story. There are videos and letters that people have written how these online lenders, and Prosper in particular, have helped them. There are people whose children were sick. There are people who wanted to do home improvement because they 
had a disabled child or another child. There are people that wanted to start businesses and always dreamed about doing that who were able to borrow money online to help themselves. What Credible is doing with student loans in helping graduating students or graduated students repay, refinance their high interest rate student loans into lower payments to get these young people out of debt so that they can move on with their lives and get married and have kids and own homes. It's really helping so many people, and the stories are online at Facebook and many other sites as well. Yes. Uh, through the years I, I have, and I'm sure you have as well, had a chance to meet people, especially immigrants um, from around the world who had the, the wherewithal, had the work ethic, but struggled to get credit to, to build a history. I know uh, one of your investments, Juvo, is involved in that world. Tell us a little about uh, identity and empowerment uh, through Juvo and some of your other investments. Absolutely. I am very excited about what's happening in financial inclusion. There are companies around the world, including Juvo, J-U-V-O, here in San Francisco, that are not coming top down, like many companies, but bottom up. So of the 7 billion people on the planet, 1 billion people don't have a smartphone, don't have an online personal identity, and have zero credit, zero personal credit. And companies like Juvo are working with these people in Africa, in the Caribbean, in Latin America, South America, helping these people get a smartphone, working with the incumbent telecommunications companies, helping them be on the internet for 30 days instead of paying every day for service and then being offline for half the month. Now letting these people have a smartphone, 30 days of access, data, the access to borrow minutes, borrow email, borrow time on the internet, create this financial identity and personal identity, and then move up into the ecosystem of the developing world so they can be entrepreneurs and they can be lenders. And what excites me is not just the telecommunications companies working with us and Juvo, but now Samsung has invested in Juvo and is helping us get these smartphones into the hands of this billion people who are a big part of the planet and us improving as a society. Yes. So this this interconnectivity, let's pivot a little bit and would appreciate to the extent you're comfortable hearing about your spirituality, Ron, how how it's evolved uh, through time and uh, how how you would frame your own spirituality at this point in life. Yeah, for me, I am trying to be more meaningful. I'm trying to be uh, more open to different things. And so what's important for me is to understand my intention every morning, literally before I get out of bed. What is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to be as a husband, as a friend, as a professional, as a father, as a brother, as a son? And to try to be clear so that each day I can really do the best I can. And as I'm distracted, as somebody cuts in front of me or a car veers and I have to make a different decision to not really get angry and upset and away from that intention I had that morning. I was just telling you the story earlier about a party we went to on Valentine's Day and my wife Karen and I had a chance to sit for an hour and a half and chat with a pastor about his life and what he does and the things he's seeing and the stresses that people are under. And so for me, I'm trying to give back and to be a resource to help people professionally, personally, and spiritually. 
And I'd appreciate hearing about the inspiration behind that. For for our listeners who have not uh, gotten to know Ron yet, he is the type of person I've experienced now on multiple occasions who, in a room full of a thousand people, will make a point to speak to each person, not in some fake way, but as his authentic self, and then not unordinarily follow up with them individually with something he'd heard, something he'd written, something that applied to their conversation. Uh, what, what drives that when you do not need anything from these people? What drives your willingness to be open in such a way? So I grew up as a young teenager uh, following Michigan State basketball, and there was this young kid, Magic Johnson, and I watched what he did on the court, how he encouraged people, how he supported people, how he assisted people, helped other people score, helped them be in the right position during the game during timeouts, after the games. He was really a player and a coach, but he really lubricated the team. And he won at every level, junior high, high school, two years of college, and then an amazing career in the NBA. And I'm really trying to pattern my professional life to be him, to assist others and follow up and coach and encourage and share so that everybody wins the best they can, that they're in the best position they can be. And that's what I do at these events. I'm looking for people standing on their own or doing things where I can help. And then I have really opened up my Rolodex, the 27,000 contacts on LinkedIn, the 6,000 on Twitter, and the ones in my phone to help people in all parts of the community, in the financial world, in the tech world, entrepreneurs, innovators, and the incumbents. I'm spending lots of times with the banks and the big technology companies helping them understand where we all are and and my view on what's happening next. The first time I met you, you spoke about the influence of Wayne Dyer on your life and the power of intentionality. Would you care to share a little bit about how you became aware of Dr. Dyer and the influence he's had on your life? So he was this amazing guru. He was not a perfect person. I think he was married many times and had lots of different things that happened in his life. But he was able to share stories and explain things in a way that I had not seen before. I got a lot of comfort and clarity in listening to him tell stories about the phases of life and the phases of the journey and how to find oneself and and really stay focused and true to what you want to do versus what everybody else says you should do and others' expectations. And he was able to do it through books and through music and through speeches he gave around the world. And he, uh, among others, really made a, a very big impact. And I think about what he has said in those times where I'm not quite sure. I've gone back and reread the books and recently watched one of the videos and shared it with my personal trainer who is trying to find his intention. So I continue to try to share the wisdom he left with me. One of the things uh, I read from Dr. Dyer was, uh, you do not attract what you want, but what you are. Is that playing out in your life? It is, and it's changing for me. What's coming to me is different than what was coming to me even a year ago or six months ago. And so rewirement for me has put me in positions to meet people and do things I couldn't imagine. I'm now in a speaker's bureau out of Asia, talking to Fortune 50 companies around the world and going to places I never thought I would go, whether it's Atlanta or Malaysia or wherever, there is this desire to hear what I think is happening in this golden era of fintech, 
in the need to pivot. And this rewirement series has really provoked a lot of people to give me feedback on what to write about next and try to help them understand. It's been a really enjoyable process. For those outside of the fintech world or investor space, what does the golden age of fintech mean uh, to the world? And, and what should they know in ways they may want to consider getting involved and at least be aware? I think everyone should just take a half step back and think about innovation cycles, the automobile, TV, radio, smartphones. These are 50-year cycles. It takes 50 years for something to truly innovate. The fintech financial technology cycle started with e-trade and when loans went online for mortgages, e-loan, and then with PayPal, where we started to be able to pay for things differently, and then Lending Club and Prosper in 2006, where we could borrow and lend. And now we have PayPal again doing loans and Square, and then here comes Amazon doing business lending and other companies like Alibaba and other companies around the world doing lending online. So we're now 25 to 30 years into the golden era of the innovation cycle of how we pay for things, how we borrow, how we lend, and the way things move with our money. And so I'm really excited to see the next five years. Who are the winners? Do we know the winners? Do they exist today? Or will the incumbents come back into the business and change it. And we see it happening with Goldman Sachs and their new bank called Marcus. So we are in the golden era, that middle 10 years of the 50-year innovation cycle of finance and technology. And it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. I think we'll be in for some very big surprises globally. Now, people don't typically associate lenders of any variety with spirituality or soul. Um, are you seeing more soul and, and intention in this golden age of fintech versus what you've seen over the past few decades. I am. And and the reason I am seeing it is because in the olden days, like a couple of years ago, <laughs> the consumer was paying an exorbitant amount of interest from hard money lenders and payday lenders and people in communities around the country. And what we've done is we've democratized credit. We now enable someone in Detroit or someone in Dallas or someone in Baltimore or someone in Connecticut to go online and tell their story about their debt. And the online lending community has enabled that person to get a lower rate and a fixed rate and get out of debt and improve their credit and help their lives. And so that's what I think about in addition to the financial piece. It's the altruistic piece. We are really, really helping people move on in their lives, and pay the rate they deserve, not just the rate they can get from some loan shark at the courthouse steps or in their town. So, Ron, I understand when you're coming into an investment, you have a thesis around that. Is there a bridge between an investment thesis and a spirituality thesis? Is there such a thing? I think there's always that bridge. And I think the bridge is often there, but people don't focus on it. And so I'm really looking at the person I'm looking at their spouse, their partner, their friends, kind of what are they doing in their lives? It's all about the people. If it's a wrong group of people or the wrong person and the right opportunity, it often doesn't work. And so I think finding someone who has a true north, someone who's really focused not just on themselves, 
but on doing a bigger thing, a better thing. That's where the, where the real winners emerge. And you see that often in companies here in San Francisco and around the world. I can think of LendUp run by my friend Sasha. He is doing so many good things for people, but he always talks about giving, always making people better, people in a better position personally, emotionally, and financially. And there's other groups also doing that, really not just wanting to hire people and build their companies and make more money, but really doing the right thing along the way, not just about money. Now, in addition to being involved in in 20 plus companies as an advisor or investor, uh, I understand that you are are about to be involved on some work on the continent of Africa. Can you tell me a little bit about that opportunity program? So one of the companies I'm invested in is looking to acquire a company in Johannesburg. And then my wife and I are heading to uh, Uganda and Rwanda and Tanzania to do some work in a hospital there. And so we met this guy, and this guy had no children, but he was married. He was a doctor and a, a very wealthy man who lived in the East Coast. And he had a medical issue on the mountains of Africa. And his Sherpas in the local community were able to bring him down. He was a big man, 300 pounds, took hours while he was having this heart attack. And he said if they could get him down and to a hospital, he would help them. Well, they had no hospital. They got him down, and he lived. And he and his wife sold everything they had in Connecticut and have opened this hospital in Tanzania. And it is an amazing story about an amazing couple now helping this incredible community. Very impressive. Are there other business or world leaders you admire that influence you in some way? I have some idols in the world. I think what Sopnendu is doing in Singapore, this is a very smart man from India, who is really shaping Southeast Asia's emergence into what they're doing in payments, in car sharing, in banking, and doing it in a way that I haven't seen done before. He's a very big picture guy, super energetic. And again, I see him helping so many people, so many companies, so many countries in the region to make it a bigger, better place. I'm spending a lot of time in Latin America and South America. I'm heading back to Mexico City, Bogota, and uh, Brazil to continue to meet young entrepreneurs and help them shape their businesses, their strategies, their ability to bring on more customers, finance them with a lower cost of capital, and generate more profits. So I think what's happening in particular in Mexico City with some of the young entrepreneurs is, again, very inspiring. Hmm. Any spiritual practices that you find helpful? So I don't have a specific spiritual practice that I do. I love to learn about what my friends are doing that are Buddhists or my friends that are doing that are following other practices. Uh, We're doing lots of yoga, lots of uh, intention setting, lots of mindfulness setting, really lots of uh, group awareness, really in a room with people with yoga and a little bit of music and a little bit of heat. It's very, very powerful and really finding peace and calm and going back out into the world in a more giving, giving way. So 
last question as we wrap up here, Ron, in terms of, of rewirement, uh, in San Francisco and around the world, we have crops of 20-somethings who've finished college or business school or law school. Uh, they oftentimes tell me that they're waiting until they're 50 or 60 and they've hit a magic number and then they'll do their impact work on the world. What would you say to them? Uh, should they defer and just wait until later or what way can they shift their intention now? So I think there's four numbers. The first number is your income. It's the money you make from your job. And the second number is your wealth. And that is the number of assets you have. Cars, jewelry, house, and all those things. And then there's the third number is where you can quit working day to day. That you have enough, and the key word is enough. Enough power, control, fame, and money. That you can do something else. That you're truly free. And the fourth number is... When you have enough, even if you lose half in case you get divorced or something happens, a great financial uh, recession, etc. So you truly have enough no matter what, that you actually can't mess it up. And I think people should really understand what are their four numbers. What is their income? What is their wealth? What's that number where they have enough passive income that they don't have to work? Mm -hmm. And what's the real big number, the fourth number? Or even if a huge tsunami hits, financial, personal, emotional, they can still be okay. And do the work along the way to be your best self, to give and help others, to assist to open your Rolodex and make people around you better. The reality is the more you give along the way, the more you get. And you move along to the right till you get to the spot that you're really looking for. Excellent. Ron, thank you for your time. Thank you for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for making time to listen today. And again, many thanks to Ron for sharing his perspective on ways to empower more people globally and help us understand the difference between retirement and rewirement. Until next time, keep living and working beyond the check. <laughs>